this week on a lively experiment. Rhode Island sees a dramatic spike in COVID-19 cases. What will it mean heading into the winter season? And President Trump refuses to throw in the towel. How will that affect the transition of power? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Pablo Rodriguez, retired professor from the Warren Albert Medical School. Leanne Senek, national committee woman for the Rhode Island Republican Party. And former state representative, Nick Gorham. Welcome, everyone, and we appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Well, the second wave of COVID has arrived in Rhode Island as Governor Raimondo is imposing additional restrictions and hospitals are preparing for a potential deluge of new patients. Of course, we are not alone. This is happening across the country, but it is still unsettling, particularly for some business owners who just scraped by financially this summer and are looking at a challenging winter. Dr. Rodriguez, let me begin with you. Uh, I think the good and the bad here is we know the medical community knows a little bit more about how to treat COVID than it did before, but these numbers just within the last couple of weeks are pretty alarming. What is your take well, on this? Um, Jim, we are facing one of the greatest public health challenges this country and the state uh, has faced. Um, we've been warning for months that uh, the winter is going to be tough, uh, that people need to take precautions, that they can have large gatherings, that they have to wear masks, that they have to really avoid crowds. Um, and obviously throughout the country, that has not been the case and the numbers uh, do you know, show that. Uh, the, the good thing, uh, like you said, is that you know we're not seeing uh, the number of deaths, you know, the speed in the number of deaths that we that we saw in the spring because we are managing the disease much better. But that also brings you another another problem, and that is that the um, uh, there are more people in the hospital. Uh, people are staying longer in the hospital because we are treating them better and not um, uh, and not letting them die uh, like, like used to be in the past. So, so we're going to have a, a real serious, we already have a serious problem of shortage of hospital beds, a shortage of staff, uh, because the staff also is getting sick. Um, and, um, you know, I just can't see uh, the, the country turning on a dime uh, and all of a sudden starting <laughs> uni, 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 universal uh, mask wearing and, and, and control. Uh, we, we've seen it in the election, we've seen it in the, in the protests um, and in the gatherings, even in the White House, where, where people just uh, are, have not taken care of the, the situation. You know, Leanne, I was at the I go to the briefings every week and last week I heard the governor impose these new restrictions. I, and I did talk radio this week. I think most people are doing the right thing, and I'm not sure what's leading to this, but you wonder, there's a, there's a public relations element to this too. How much more can we do? I think most people are living their lives the way the governor wants to, and I get the feeling kind of the people she's speaking to are probably not, who really need to hear it, are probably not listening to the briefing. What, what do you hear as you listen to her talk about these new restrictions going forward? Yeah, I think we find that common thread in a lot of things that the laws that we put forth are usually 
for people who are not listening to those things. And I think what the governor is doing is good, but we've got to reach the people who are not doing those things. There are a great number of people who are at high risk, but this is what we've prepared for. Um, we took that time, the pause in the beginning in the spring to make sure that we had the resources available for people. So now you see in the stores, there's sanitizer on all the store shelves. It's readily available. There are masks of different um, varieties available everywhere. We need to make sure that people are utilizing those precautions. There are people in our population that are very vulnerable, and those people should be the ones taking the most precautions, and I think that they are. But when you see these large numbers and the increase in numbers, it's concerning to everybody but we need to also know how many of those numbers are asymptomatic. How many of those people are out there that are very sick and are not very sick? Because that's concerning for everyone, too. And I think some people, you know, it's been going on for so long now that we tend to get comfortable. And, you know, when you've been with people for a little while, you do relax that a little bit. You might leave your mask down. You might start talking to people. You might stay longer in the company of other people. And I think that's what we have to, not just wearing the mask, sanitizing, but making sure that people are limiting their exposure to people outside their circle and make sure they're limiting the amount of time they're spending with those people. If we're just going in and out of the grocery store, we should be okay. But if we're spending a lot of time in gatherings with people, it, that's not going to help things. So I do think, you know, some of the things that we're talking about make a lot of sense and I can understand though why people chafe at those restrictions and especially when you're looking at a curfew um, that's something that when you think of that it's it's something you would never think you would see in our in our country um, and, and I think a lot of people will balk at that because it's the idea that it is the virus stronger at night I, I don't think that's what it is I think it's more that people become more relaxed as time goes on and they need to just make sure they're still being vigilant that's the most important thing is that every person is taking personal responsibility. And if you are out there in the public, you need to keep that mask on, sanitize your hands constantly, um, all those things. We need to keep doing all that we're doing to prevent this spread. The other thing I do think we should do is we should open the field hospital. I think it's very important to keep people who do have COVID away from people who don't have COVID. One of the biggest mistakes we saw at the beginning was putting people in nursing homes um, that were COVID positive. We need to make sure that we don't repeat those mistakes. That was a, a great spreader of this disease and it spread to our most vulnerable population. So I want to make sure that while we're looking at everybody else who's kind of out there in the public doing things, our most vulnerable population needs to be protected the most. Okay, go ahead and jump in next. Sure. Um, last week, uh, Dr. Shah of the Brown University Medical School uh, was on PBS NewsHour, and she said that we are probably missing 70 to 80 percent of all the cases out there. This is a problem that is not stoppable at a, re at a realistic cost. In other words, it, this, is, this is going to keep going. Look at all the things we've done and yet the cases are still overwhelming. I think the, um, the solution is probably uh, set forth in the Biden plan, which is really the Trump plan without the narcissism. <clears throat> it's the best solution you can come up with, um, which is you wear a mask, you do all the, the personal uh, protection that you can, <clears throat> keep the hospitals as ready as we can possibly make them capacity wise and prepare, prepare to maintain, um, you know, reasonable measures, but not another lockdown. I don't think that the public is ready for that. And the data doesn't support that it works very well. 
So um, the one thing we have now is a, a vaccine, but they say it's only going, you know, it was, it was announced after the election. Um, I think the, uh, the limit right now is about 25 million people. I think there's going to be a real fight about who gets those. That's going to be a battle we're all going to be reading about soon. But really, we just have to be personally vigilant. That's the most important thing of all. I, I, I agree with my colleagues. That, that's number one. Uh, there's only so much the government can do. Pablo, before we move on, let me ask you about the vaccine. Uh, you know, from a medical standpoint, it sounds encouraging, but, you know, the president was saying, oh, it's going to be available. But available and going through trials and actually getting to the, the, uh, the majority of Americans are, are vastly different things. What is your thought about the vaccine? And then you got some people who say, I'm not taking that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that it's, it's tested, that it seems to have gone through very quickly. Uh, so, so I'm a member of the committee uh, for the state that's going to be determining who's going to get the vaccine, which vaccine we're going to be choosing. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the vaccine is not the answer in the short term. There's not going to be enough doses. The most we're going to be getting is about 18,000 doses uh, a week. Uh, you know, for the foreseeable future, uh, that is not going to be enough to really uh, create herd immunity. So we're not going to have the protection of the vaccine probably till next winter, next fall. So in the meantime, we have to do what, what we have to do, which is protect ourselves. But when you have, you know, a, an administration, when you have a White House that has made masks a political statement, you know, you can't say that we're doing everything that we should be doing. And when places like Taiwan, I'll Australia, Hong Kong, New Zealand, Canada has had better, better results than we no had. Uh, you know, it's, they have it's, no you, borders. You can argue. They're in the ocean. Oh, they're, in the, they're, in a, they're surrounded by water. That, there's, a lot, there's a lot of studies that say that that's a big difference, doctor. They, no, it's not. No, it's not. Have, it's it's a matter of taking it seriously. It's a matter of, uh, of showing the example that the, that the president of the United States should be showing in a public health emergency. There's no reason whatsoever for the president of the United States to make mask wearing a something to mock and something to, to not be respected. I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. But But the Biden plan is the Trump plan. Uh, with the one minor difference I noted previously. It's not about a plan. It's about an attitude. Well, okay. All right. Uh, let's move on. Nick, let me stay with you. Um, you know the uh, Speaker-elect, Joe Sicarci, coming in, of course, since last week. We know that Nick Mattiello uh, is, is uh, defeated. Joe Sicarci got the votes very quickly. Longtime guy, well-liked in the House. And, and you know Joe well from your time in the House, Nick. What do you see the differences going in? And we've got some major problems. We've got a budget uh, ahead of us, some legislative oversight. Um, he's got a lot on his plate coming in. Just give me your snapshot, having been in that chamber, of what you see when he takes over. Again, he's not going to take over until January. Well, I think he's probably more of a consensus builder for the, um, than, uh, than Nick Mattiello was. Um, I didn't actually serve with um, Joe Shikarchi, uh, but I know that when you've been minority leader for as long as he has, that gives you a lot of experience on how to put votes together and get things done. And now that he's speaker, I, I think he'll be even more effective. Um, but boy, the challenges are just daunting. Uh, can they really wait until January to, uh, to get a budget together for this year? Um, yet... They really can't elect a speaker until January. That's, that's really in the Constitution. So I, I suppose they could try to change that. But 
or do some, they could try to improvise, but challenges are daunting. Uh, it would be a lot better if they could get going now than January. Well, yeah. Yeah, they definitely need to get going now. They should have been going all along. Um, one thing that I would like to see with the new speaker is the General Assembly actually meeting. Um, they were able to meet in person to elect a new speaker um, or to pledge their votes to um, for a new speaker to come, come January. But in the meantime, the people's business is not being done. There is no budget in the state. There needs to be a budget. How can we expect everyone else in this state, regular taxpayers, regular working citizens, to prepare their budgets for the following year? If we don't know, are we going to have a car tax? Are we going to have an increase in the car tax? Are we going to have increases in other taxes across the board? Are there going to be layoffs in the state? Are there going to be cuts everywhere? We can't plan our lives if the government is not taking care of their budget and letting us know because, unfortunately, the government does have so much control and impact on our everyday lives because of their taxes and regulations. Well, we need to know what those are going forward so we know what our lives are going to look like. Yeah, and Popwell, the question is, is it is it Mattiello who takes the lead as a lame duck or Sakarchi? I mean, the, the the it's ticking and ticking. Look, I haven't gotten my car tax bill because they're waiting for a budget, so my town is behind on revenue. You multiply that by 39 cities and towns. I just it just it just blows me away that you know we think that the uh, the rules of the house uh, are written in the tablets, you know, uh, on Mount Sinai. Uh, really, we are in the middle of a of a financial and a public health emergency. There's something called Zoom. Have you heard of it? You know, I mean, these people should be meeting every day. You know, this is the greatest, greatest threat to, to the health of this of this state. Um, and to think that, oh, because the rules, you know, oh, Matiello needs to make a decision. Oh, no, this Shikarchi. They should be both meeting every day. They should be sharing notes. They should be trying to work together to help the state move forward, um, you know, and abandon all this, you know, petty politics, you know, that oh, is really God. what it is, uh, because Matiello is not the speaker, you know, going forward. So Sikarchi should be just assuming not the not the not the mandate, but at least be working with Matiello and with the leadership to develop a plan for the state. What about that, Nick? So well put. I, I agree with Paul. I so often agree with Pablo. It never ceases <laughs> to amaze me. Wait until we get to the presidential election no, part. We'll, we'll save that. <laughs> Listen, the, the one thing, but the one thing, let's be clear for everybody who's watching. This had nothing to do with public health not meeting. The speaker was in a very difficult election. Last thing he wanted to do was to be spending time in the house when he could be at other people's houses front door campaigning and making decisions that could potentially affect him negatively politically. Same deal with the Senate president. And so you had a lot of members, I've talked to members who said, we wanted to be back, but the leadership shut it down. And I will tell you, Leanne, that I will give kudos to the House uh, Republicans. They have, Blake Filippi, press release every week, we should be doing this, 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 and this. And I know it's a bully pulpit, it's a it's a court of public opinion, and it really wasn't going to do anything, but they were spot on all fall calling for various measures. Absolutely. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. And, and it's still not it's still not happening, and that's an issue. But I think going forward, that is one hope that we would have with this new speaker, that he would actually um, take some suggestions from the minority caucus. Uh, you know, they have in the past and then turned it into a, a Democrat thing instead of a Republican thing. I don't care as long as things get done. 
just get some stuff done. And we can't just stay in limbo like this. People are not in limbo. Businesses are not in limbo. Businesses have found a way to survive as much as they possibly can. They found ways to adapt to this situation. And the reason that the General Assembly has not been able to adapt, if that's a political reason, it's disgusting. It's disgraceful. Yeah. Nick, yeah. Well, go ahead. Here's there will be a reckoning for all of this. Um, you're absolutely right. The Republicans through Blake Filippi have demanded action every week. This was a tough election to run in with COVID, but I suspect in two years it won't be. And we're gonna see some real competition, mostly attributable to the Democrats' failure to meet and do anything in this major public health crisis, uh, which will, you know, It'd be interesting to watch, uh, but let's face it, they really haven't met, they haven't done anything. Nick, last question. Do they pass a budget? Look, the, the governor, I've been sat at those briefings, she's been saying six months, Congress needs to do the right thing. And look, Mitch McConnell is a little preoccupied right now. There are 50 days between now and the end of the year with the COVID money. She's hoping that she can use it for the budget. Do they just need to go ahead and pass a budget that's going to have some pain? Or do they do they continue to wait? You mean the oh the the general assembly? I think yeah. I think they should do some type of provisional budget that takes account of the fact that they may get a certain amount from the federal government government, but they're not sure how much. And then if there's a shortfall in what they get from the federal government, they meet again. I mean, it's not like one uh, one budget is irreversible. Uh, we do we did supplemental budgets all the time when I was, when I was up there, and they still do them. So. There's really no excuse for the lack of action. And I, I, I hope, uh, you know, future speaker uh, Shikarchi takes note of that and just gets down and starts doing the business of the House right away. All right. It's what everybody's been talking about over the weekend. Uh, all the major networks, including Fox News, projected uh, Joe Biden to be the president-elect. He's moving forward with the administration. Uh, the president has, it continues to uh, bring up issues of potential voter fraud and not concede. Leanne, let me let me throw it right to you. You were at the Republican convention. I think a lot of people think this is probably not a surprise from Donald Trump. But should he at this point say, "Okay, I'm going to work with you moving forward," or do you think he should continue to fight this this battle? I think he needs to continue to fight this battle. This is an unprecedented election in the fact that we had states that changed their election laws in the middle of the process. So those need to be reviewed. There are allegations of irregularities within states, and there are states with razor thin margins. States like Georgia, if there's a difference of 14,000 votes, they're going to a hand recount. Um, we're gonna need to see that in a few of these other states that are very, very close. And the reason for that isn't, isn't just because of this president and because of this election. If you're looking at posterity and going forward, you have over 70 million people who voted for President Trump, and a lot of them are not ready to accept the, the results of this election because of these questions that are still pending on this election. You cannot afford to disenfranchise that many people. And that's what this will do by just pushing this forward and saying, yeah, we're not going to investigate anything. We're just going to move on. You can't do that to that to that many people that will disenfranchise them for voting in the future. But also for, for Biden himself, if he is wanting to unite the country, then unite it with some transparency. Let us let us look at this and say, like, OK, we're comfortable with this. Otherwise, for, for half the population, there's going to be an asterisk next to his name for posterity. And let me just cut, let me cut to the let me cut to the chase before the boys jump in. Do you really think there was a big 
overall arching conspiracy by the Democrats to have ballots come into Philadelphia at three in the morning. And this guy, it, it places where that Republicans, and I understand they changed the rules because, and more, and people having a hard time wrapping around their head around the fact that it, a lot of mail ballots came in mainly because of the pandemic. But do you think there was this overarching conspiracy by the Democrats to steal the election as the president has said? I don't think there was an overarching conspiracy. I think that there are pockets of irregularities that need to be investigated and why those things were allowed to happen. Um, I'm not saying that the whole country, I mean, obviously we're accepting of the results where the president won, so, so things did work in some states. But where there are questions, they need to be followed through and we need to have them go to the legal, through the courts and all legal things satisfied before we do move on. And I think that <clears throat> with this election, you know, beforehand, uh, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi were all, we shouldn't concede. No one's conceding until every legal vote is counted. No one's doing that. And now because they want to push things through quickly, they're willing to change that tune. And again, that's political. And I don't. All right. Well, the, but the president also said in 2016, the election was rigged and he won. Let me bring other, other guys in. Nick, go ahead and jump in. Sure. Um, the mail ballots are what are causing the traffic jam. Uh, throughout the country. And, you know, it, it comes right down to our own state government, as we just talked about. You can't make budgets without having a majority, uh, with, well, without, without clarity on, on who the president is and who's going to run the Senate. And a lot of it's attributable to the mail ballots. I've been uh, an observer of Rhode Island politics for 30 years, at times a participant. You know, Ed Catuno, the mail ballot king, the media has never once in 30 years written something nice about Mr. Catuno. <laughs> now, suddenly, mail ballots are as pure as the driven snow. What an irony. What an incredibly acute irony that is. This, this mail ballot uh, experiment that we had for this election, where uh, the legislature of Pennsylvania made one rule, and then this, and and by their constitution, the legislature makes the rules about voting, and then the Supreme Court changed it, extending the deadline for mail ballot submission to November eighth. That's a problem, and M President Trump should have the right to vindicate the claims that he has. He should choose them carefully, and I think that's going to really temper what he what he can put forward. He may not have enough, he may. But this is the first time that this has ever happened, as far as I can go back, um, and I wasn't alive at this time, but Grover Cleveland, the election of 1888, he was a sitting president. He barely lost, he won the popular vote, but he, and he narrowly lost the electoral vote to Benjamin Harrison. Um, Four states were decided by less than a half a percent. Some of the states were less than 2,000 votes. I don't know if Grover Cleveland contested the election. It was 132 years ago. I, I couldn't find anything. But I think it's a very uh, interesting point that this just hasn't happened in America. We shouldn't rush to judgment, no matter how much we may dislike Donald Trump or consider him a narcissist or whatever. He deserves a chance to prosecute for the very reasons that uh, my colleague said, which is 70 million people are going to feel disenfranchised if he's not allowed that opportunity. So I encourage the president to go forward. I just think he's going to have to pick his battles very, very carefully.
All right, Pablo, jump in. What what battles? Uh, it, it's going to be easier for <laughs> e easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than than Donald Trump be able to flip five states where he's losing this election. There is no way. Karl Rove already has said publicly uh, he has no chance. Uh, you know, recounts have an average. All the recounts that have been done have found an average of four hundred votes changed, you know, after the recount. We're talking about millions of votes. In, in, in Michigan, 150,000. Uh, there is no chance for this to happen. This is a real problem for this country because what we're doing is that we are just humoring and just, you know, letting somebody that is behaving like a toddler, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to accept the, the fantasy that he won the election. He even doesn't even believe that he won the election. Uh, we don't have transition going on right now. That is a, a crisis in terms of national security. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's absolutely amazing that, that, uh, that this party has completely and absolutely abdicated their responsibility to the American people. Instead of saying, Mr. President, you know, fight your battles. Yeah, you want to challenge, you know, 400 votes here, 500 votes there go for it. But it's obvious what the result is going to be. And it is damaging for this country not to have a transition office funded and done by this time. Florida 2000. It took months. 537 took months. You know votes. 537 Andre. votes in one state that was going to decide the entire election. All we have I'm five saying. states now. Five states, two of them Republicans, by Republican officers that are saying, this is ridiculous. So not no even problem. a recount? Are you suggesting not even a recount? You know, I'm not saying, I, 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 I think recount all you want. What I'm saying is that a recount has never, you know. You don't know until you do it, and you don't know what you're going to discover until you do it. And, right. you know, the, the basic argument of the Democrat Party uh, against Trump doing anything is, well, he's probably not going to win. Well, people have said that about a lot of things that President Trump has done and other people have done. Elections have and, been challenged all I, the time. I give, I give great credit for the people who say, you know what, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do and the system allows it. And the 80 percent of the people in this country believe that Joe Biden won. Uh, the leaders of other countries believe Joe Biden has won. This is really petty. I and guess it's that, really that, absolutely amazing that. that leaders of the Republican Party will accept this kind of behavior from the leader of the free world. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Obviously, I disagree with Pablo on this. I do think that we, it is very important to follow through on every legal challenge. And more importantly, it, if we're looking at how this is going to affect us going forward, again, it's not just specifically about this president, although that is hugely important because obviously all the impacts that are come, will come forward from who this is. But looking at the Senate races, those runoffs that are going to happen um, to see who's going to control the Senate. We want to make sure that there is an integrity in this election process. And we want to make sure that people are comfortable with that. If, if there is any silver lining in any of this divisiveness and unprecedented election, it's the fact that more American people, more voters are engaged in this process and they're learning. They're learning what's happening and they're seeing how things are done and they're going to be more involved in that process going forward. And I'm very excited about that. I want people to educate themselves on election laws in different states, how things are done and how things are done on the federal level and on the local level. There are so many people in Rhode Island who were so upset because they went to bed on election night thinking there were huge upsets across the state. 
And when they woke up and the mail ballots had been processed, it, it was the status quo again. And, and I think it's very difficult for people to understand that process. We knew those mail ballots were there. We know those were coming in. And you have to be prepared for that, but you have to educate people on this process. And that is the Leanne, most important thing we can take from this. Is Leanne, I, Leanne, I got to hold you there. I'm sorry we blew right through outrages and kudos. <laughs> uh, folks, thank you for your time. Listen, I want, to, uh, I want to give a shout out to our new show here at Rhode Island PBS, Rhode Island PBS Weekly. It debuted this week, 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. If you don't see it, you can catch a rerun 7.30 on Sunday nights. It's a great in-depth show with lots of great Rhode Island topics. So check that out. If you don't see us on Fridays or Sundays, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, podcast, and we post all of our episodes at ripbs.org. Pablo, Leanne, and Nick, I wish we had two hours to discuss this. Thank you so much. And folks, join us back here next week as a lively experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.